Welcome to the Beginner Audiophile Show, where we bridge the gap between the clueless big box stores and the snobby stereo shops. Every show is filled with gear reviews, commentary, and interviews aimed to find out what makes a real-world difference in your listening experience, how to get the most bang for your buck, and frankly, how to begin experiencing your music in the way it was intended. And now, your co-hosts, Harris Fogel and Michael O'Neill. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Beginner Audiophile. What is happening? It's Michael O'Neill here in sunny and warm San Diego and uh, really, really excited about this episode. We're going to talk about the LA Audio Show. We're going to talk about the Anthem MRX 1120 and uh, review it. We're going to go over some of your questions and we are going to introduce this gentleman who is our new co-host of the Beginner Audiophile Show, the guest of last week's, or last episode, uh, one Harris Fogel. What is up, Harris? You know, Michael, we are just experiencing a wonderful day here in Pennsylvania. Yesterday was a full day of windstorms, tree branches flying down. I heard, yeah. Thunderstorms, rain, and... You know, there may have even been a slowdown in the cheesesteak, you know, oh, um, you know industry, uh, yeah. production, industry, right? Yeah. But, um, no, I think um, I'm back here from traveling and I'm coming back to LA in a few weeks for a series of events. And uh, the LA Photographic Center is going to have portfolio reviews. The fantastic SIGGRAPH conference is going to be at the LA Convention Center. And, of course, I'm going to be visiting with you, Michael O'Neill. Yeah, we're going to do some shows. It's going to be awesome. Let me kind of update everybody. So, Dr. Paul had a project that he had to jump into, so he couldn't do um, any more beginner audiophile shows. And I, I was kind of pouring over who I knew that would be the perfect co-host for this. And what what I lose in one doctor, I gain in years and years and years of... Uh, audio experience in Harris Vogel. Like we have, um, we're so fortunate to have someone that has as much background in the biz as you do. And if for if those of you who don't know Harris, go listen to last episode and we did a full show with him. So, um, so a couple things I want to do first is if you could just give us a quick rundown, Harris, of your uh, your reference systems, the the stuff that you have at your home to listen to, and I know you're you're heavy on the headphone and maybe lighter on the two channel, but um, I would love to hear you know a headphone two channel, and if you have a home theater set up, what what do you have? Hey, Michael. Um, yeah, you know, as last time we talked about kind of um, in kind of saying that you know I used to be an audiophile, and um, and part of the problem, of course, was that as I grew older and I traveled and had children, spending a ton of money on audio equipment just became less of a priority. But right. fortunately, that dovetailed, of course, with incredibly high-resolution you know, audio tracks, fantastic remasters, a new generation of headphones and earphones. So, you know, going from a really, the priority being this very high-priced system to getting incredibly good sound on a budget was no longer the compromise it used to be. So for headphones, because we review earphones and headphones for Mac Edition Radio, I've got uh, just about everything you can imagine from um, you know one more quad and triple drivers to planars from Oppo. Um, I have DACs from AudioQuest. I have both the new I have the older Dragonflies and I have the new black and red, which I'm updating the firmware for MQA, which is something which was a big subject, as you know, at the audio show. Um, I'm currently working on a review of the new AudioQuest um, headphones, beautiful set of phones, and um, trying to make sense of the jitter bugs, you know, which supposedly get rid of jitter, and I'm trying to understand if that works or not for me anyway. Yeah, we've um, tested so, a few on this show. We've done, we've done a few jitterbug and dragonfly tests. Yeah, the Dragonfly is a great DAC, yeah. and um, whether or not I still have questions about how a jitterbug works with a DAC that's designed to be asynchronous, which is supposed to get rid of timing errors right off the bat. So, you know, when you get rid of errors on top of errors, you kind of wonder how many errors are left to correct. Right. But so yeah, so I I have a variety of earphones and headphones. Probably my best 
you know, amplifier for the headphones is an Oppo HA1, which is a pure class A headphone amplifier and DAC that's really an astounding piece of gear. But, but I'm which, also which testing one? Which one? The HA1. That's, wait, who's making that? Oppo. Oppo. The Oppo HA1. Oppo. Is that the little one that kind of looks like a cigarette box? No, no. This is, this is a big chunk of metal that, okay. that, um, that comes in silver or black, and it's got a full-on, you know, fantastic Sabre DAC chipset, but it has right. then also um, a pure Class A headphone amplifier. So this is a no-compromise product for mm. headphones, and it's got fully balanced outputs. But it does provide me with a reference as a, you know, like I can compare a USB DAC to it, and see how big a difference there is, how little a difference there is, which is actually, I think, more of the case. So, and then for for everyday listening, I tend to prefer the Oppo Planar Magnetic PM3s. I think they're really open. I like the noise isolation. For home theater, which is really my interest, because my interest is not so much the video side, but the surround mixes of audio. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and you know, this kind of started... Year- yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing. And years ago, when DVD audio came out... Um, I had written a review of some of the earliest DVD audio um, players, and one of them was a Pioneer that was kind of famous because it was like 120 bucks, but it was a universal disc player. So it played SACD, CD, DVD, DVD-A, um, HDCD, so it did just about everything. Um, and didn't have the best analog out, but it was still this amazingly priced component. And Rhino sent me a whole stack of DVDAs from an interview we did when I was on CBS for PC Talk Mac Edition. And that was a revelation, you know? And I, I think, Michael, the revelation for a music listener, for me, was listening to The Grateful Dead. Um, uh, Were working, they known you know, for good recordings? Well, the Grateful Dead always had this kind of famous, you know, wall of sound, and they had their own amplifiers and their own design components and their mm. own way of driving sound. But it wasn't so much as that as Mickey Hart, you know, founded. Um, you know, he's well, yeah, Mickey he's a drummer. Hart, he's a drummer, but he's very, very interested in world music. So, if yeah. one of the most important releases, and I urge our listeners to go out and grab a copy of it, which is called Planet Drum. Planet Drum. I have Planet, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and it also has an accompanying book, by the way. And the book is fantastic. And it really talks about Hart's journey from being a drummer to looking at how Western and Eastern musical modalities exist. And, you know, the idea that in the East, music begins with percussion. In the West, it tends to begin with melody. Mm. And um, so anyway, they remastered that this year. And uh, But around 20 years ago, 25 years ago he uh, i guess about 20 years ago now gosh the time's flying maybe maybe 15 um <laughs> he you know it all blurs man. it all blends um, but but so he he remixed and remastered a couple of titles um one was working man's dead and the other one was american beauty and he remixed them in surround dvda and at the time i didn't have a surround system so i ended up getting getting a pocket rocket system at a big box store. And even like, with like, a 400... Well, so what you mean by that is, like, everything's in one box. It's a bunch of little speakers, a little receiver. You set it all up. Right. It's there, right? You're right, and it had the little tiny speakers. They didn't even have a separate tweeter and woofer. They were just like a, mid, like a mid-range. Right. And then it had a sub. But even with that inexpensive, you know, it's probably under 400 bucks for the whole thing, um, it really pointed the way because I had better audio in some ways than I had with my more expensive reference system. And part of it had to do with the receiver handling the low end differently. Part of it was having a subwoofer that really dealt with low frequencies properly. And um, I mean, the other things were all lacking, you know, the high end wasn't really there, things like that. But in terms of bass, it was pretty awesome. And, and, And then, of course, you could watch a movie in surround and I had little boys and star Wars in surround is pretty great. Right. And, that's the um, best when you're a little kid. Yeah. Just Actually great. it's the best and, when you're a big kid. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't have neighbors. <laughs> I can't tell you how many movies I watch that are absolute crap movies, but they're in like Dolby Atmos. And I'm like, yeah, but you hear that? It's amazing. Never mind the <laughs> yes. acting. Yeah, the hell with the character development. Yeah, who as, long cares? As, as long as there's some rain coming from yeah, above. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. 
So, so I ended up over the years. Um, I have a Pioneer SC seven SC seventy one, I think, which is a Class D um, bash amp, and then I'm using right now the a set of Wharfdale Diamonds. Mm. And the I've Wharfdale, heard great things about those. You know, they're great. I had the first Wharfdale Diamonds, and I managed to fry tweeters in three of the ele- three of the speakers. And it's an interesting thing because it turns out that most tweeters use ferromagnetic fluid. What does and that the mean? Ferromag- well, it's a, it's a fluid that's used inside the tweeter driver, and it permits some some better characteristics for the speaker, but it also absorbs some kind of abuse. Okay. And so, so you know, in the old days, speakers were fused. Like I have a set of BMW DM22s, which is kind of my reference speaker. And they're older, they're 25 years old, and they're fused. And, you know, you blow fuses on a regular basis. Oh, fused. But, okay, I didn't know fused. what you meant by that. Yeah, but modern speakers, if you go out, a lot of modern speakers have no fuses. Right, right, right. So, so the Wharfdales didn't have them, and I managed to get, you know, clattering voice coils on a couple of them. And then they swapped them out for a newer set of, um, of speakers. And um, I have, let me, I'll look up quickly the model numbers. We did a review of those um, a couple of years back, and they're quite quite good as speakers. Are, are um, they Wharfdale as well? They are. They're Wharfdales. The diamond. And, uh, they're diamond. Are they the two? Are they the two twenties? Maybe. Give me a second, man. I'm going as fast. I, I was as trying I can. to help you. Is what I was trying to do. No, you're totally right. They're di- they're Wharfdale Diamond two twenty. Yeah. There's a two twenty center, and then there's a D eight subwoofer. Okay. And um and they sound great. And I have it in a five point two array, um and they're really lovely speakers and um and the only other speakers i'd like to compare them to would be the new elax either the debuts or the unifies right because i think it's the same they're more or less the same price point and um but they're a slight a different sound and the yeah. elac is really outrageously cool because it uses active equalization yeah that's really cool we haven't tried one of those yet um i've seen i've seen andrew jones demo them. These Wharfdales actually look a bit like the Elax. They have a same vibe of the, the black cabinet with the, the silver kind of surround on it. Um, well, and there's one important difference, by the way, Michael. Yeah. If our, if our listeners go and look at the Wharfdale speakers, um, you'll notice that it appears that they're on a base. There's like a quarter-inch gap, ear gap, below the bottom of the speaker and then the yeah, speaker. Yeah, yeah, right. I see that. And, and and what that really is is a front-facing base port. Oh, wow, cool. So so the Elax, for instance, the base port is in the back of the speaker, and so they don't really work well on a bookshelf. They're not... Right. They may look like bookshelf-sized speakers, but Andrew will be the first to tell you they should be a foot or two at least away from the wall. Right. Wait, the so that, that's a good... Hold on, that's a good a point that that... If you have, if your speakers have a rear port, like you, typically it's a hole that faces the rear, they need to be away from the wall significantly, a, a, a couple feet, or you're going to get a, a woofing sound that from that port, like a, you'll get port noise basically. Yeah, well, and and also it will be a muddier right. kind of base, right? So, and whereas the Wharfdales are designed as true bookshelf speakers, hmm. so they actually have a port below the speakers that so you can put them in a bookshelf it's they still sound better on a stand i mean like all of these speakers sound much better yeah on you know speaker stands where they have room to breathe um and they you know but but that's you know, in the general thing is, yeah in but general, not everybody yeah. has a living situation where they can right. have like i have cats and let me tell you <laughs> when you have cats you cannot put speakers near the floor, or, you're, or else you're going to have to build a cover for your speaker grills every time you walk away. You, you know what I did? I just a, a week ago or two weeks ago, I on Amazon, I ordered a couple of because uh, I have a pair of Elax in my bedroom, just sitting on my dresser, and they're about a foot and a half away from the wall. But I I got some of those foam stands from Amazon, and they weren't expensive. It was like twenty bucks or something. Holy moly, they made a huge difference. So instead of the speaker just sitting directly on the table, now they're elevated and they're on these foam isolation stands. And the base tightened up. Everything got better from these $20 little stands. And I thought that was cool. Wow. So yeah. I, I think, I think like, and, and then my reference system um, is actually, a, I have a couple of BMW speakers here, um, but the ones that I like to listen to the most are a set of very old, 25-year-old 
BMW DM2 slash twos, which was a, a, a three-way system. Um, at the time, they were very expensive. Um, you know, back in the early '80s, they were roughly fifteen hundred bucks a pair, and um, and they're beautiful. You know, heavy wood traditional speakers on a beautifully engineered plinth, and um, and they they tend to be a little bit on the mellow side. You know, mm. in fact. When I had them with a turntable, and I have a Luxman turntable with an old Dynavector Ruby cartridge in it, um, which, by the way, was probably already was probably originally made by Audio Technica because they still do service on Dynavectors, believe it or not. Huh. Um, and um, you know, they they sounded beautiful, but they sounded restrained. And I remember talking with a friend of mine who ended up working for B and W as an engineer, and I said, "They sound beautiful, but restrained." And he says. Well, you know, they are made in Britain. <laughs> right. So, right. Well. So to his point of view, they were perfect because right. they were like, they were great vocal speakers. And, you know, BMWs were used to, were the speaker of choice at Abbey Road, you know, in the, um, in the recording console. So, hmm. um, so they, they did sound unbelievably beautiful and musical on vocals. They hmm. just didn't have that sense. And then when CDs came out, and I plugged in my first CD player, all of a sudden, it was like a beautiful match because the CDs of the time and the CD players of the time were so overly bright and harsh, and these speakers kind of tamed them. And um, and then I had, I, th- I think we talked about last time, I had a GAS Thalia preamp, which is still a really clean preamp. Um, a little dated in technology, but still really clean. And then I have a, a Hafler oh, amp wow. that I built myself, and then I updated some of the cap and some of the outputs and things like that. So when I want to go just pure component, I've got this kind of older system, but it's a very clean system. I love it. Um, yeah, I'd love to get a new, ad- I'd love to get a like an Adcom amp. That was a right. great audio bargain of all time. But, right. um, you know, but, but, you know, but I, but, you know, the one thing is, is Chris Walker, who's now at ELAC and used to be a pioneer, you know, when I was skeptical about the pioneer line of elite receivers, and I said, so, you know, everything I hear is class D is a dirty word. Right. And um, and we should note for our listeners that there's different types of amplifiers. Class A is the traditional lust, love kind of object for all audiophiles. Tubes? Is that tubes, basically? A lot of tube amps are class A, yeah. and they're incredibly inefficient. You could light half the city with what you waste on a class A amp. Right, right. But the tradition has been... It's the best sounding, you know, the cleanest. And then the next, the next set of amps were kind of a hybrid. They're class A and B, and then class D is relatively recent. They're kind of known as bash amps, and they're capable of huge bursts of power. And and traditionally, they've been used in things like car audio because they're very right. efficient and compact. Because they don't use. Yeah, and they don't use a lot of power when they're not when they're not working. Whereas the class A is like burning juice twenty four seven, no matter what signal you give it. Mm. So, um, but they weren't really you know they weren't seen that good. But when you were at the LA Audio Show, there were a lot of manufacturers showing class D amps. Tons, and, it, it's, it was yeah, the trend. Yeah, you know, it was the trend. And and I would say ninety percent of all the subwoofers you buy now. That are self-powered or power, self-powered by a class D amp. Well, they've certainly gotten better, haven't they? Hey, um, so really quickly, and I think we should talk about the LA Audio Show. You mentioned uh, right when, before we were going on that you have like a wired versus wireless headphone setup that you're on right now. I think maybe you should try the wire because I'm getting a little bit of crackliness. Um, okay, hold on. I'm gonna, and that's fine. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna share my experience with the LA Audio Show while you do that. And then, okay, we'll, well, I was. Let me just say that I was oh, yeah. on the wire, and now I'm wireless. Oh. Does that sound any better? It's it's the, it's about the same. There's just a little crackle that sometimes comes through. I don't know what the crackle is, but it's fine. I mean, look, we're we are literally three thousand miles away from each other. So if there's a little audio glitch, I'm not worried about it. You know. Um, well, so it's fine. Let's let's talk about the LA Audio Show. So I did. Um, on the la- actually, I guess I was telling everybody you were on the last episode, but you were on the episode before that because last episode I interviewed a bunch of people from the LA Audio Show, which was awesome. Uh, and then we did your introduction two two shows ago. So uh, pardon me, you guys, for that, but you'll have to go back and listen to the uh, intro of Harris there. And um, just know that Harris has been running Mac Edition Radio for I don't know how long now, like 15 years or something crazy. 
How long's well, Mac Condition Radio long. been going on? I'm, you know, I'm thinking ten years. Ten years. Something. That's still a good. It's still a good <laughs> clip. But um, by the way, while if if I'm making a little bit of crunching noise, I'm unpacking this fabulous USB microphone from Audio Technica. Oh, ATR twenty one hundred. No, it's an AT twenty twenty USBI. Oh, yeah, I know that one. It's you've got to be careful because it's a it's a um, condenser mic, so it's it'll pick up. You know, if a mouse farts in the next county, it'll pick that up. Thank you for that visual. For You're that welcome. Visual. Here, Thank you. I'm, I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> I'll mute you for a second <laughs> while I while you do your your plugging in, um, okay. and then um, I'll share my experience from the LA Auto Show. So, <clears throat> I did this. You know, for me, this was probably like the fifth-ish audio show that I've been to, but this was really the 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 first one where beginner audiophile was already established. Like I had, you know, we had a presence, and I was wearing my beginner audiophile T-shirt, and people walked up and said, "Oh, I listened to the show," and and you know, thank you for doing that, and made some incredible connections um, at the show. And so, um, are you back with us, Harris? Not yet. Okay. All right. You know what? Uh, just send me a little Skype message when you're ready, and I'll I'll turn you back on. Um, so, I did this. Um, you know, every time I go to a, any kind of convention, you know, whether it's this podcast or for my real my 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 regular podcast, which is called the Solopreneur Hour, I've been doing um, the Solopreneur Hour for four years now, almost. And um, it, you know, I walk into a conference with. Uh, plan like I have a, a an agenda, you know, and um, I wanted to I wanted to connect with some great people and get some great interviews. I also wanted to connect with a lot of the marketing people and let them know, hey, we've got the show going on and we want to review some uh, gear. So I had been constantly uh, room to room, even though it's really fun to listen to the audio porn and listen to the $100,000 room, the $200,000 room, the $500,000 room, and those exist. It's crazy. My focus was on like five grand and below, you know, because I think for those of us that are just getting into this to say, hey, you know, you've got to start. Uh, well, here's an example of, of how I think a lot of the industry doesn't get it yet is I went into this room and this is a pretty well-known company and um, I was looking at all their stuff and they have, they have a $23,000 preamp and then a $17,000, you know, DAC and then a, you know, whatever. It's all the super expensive stuff. And I said, you know, are, are you guys, um, is, is any sort of focus of your, your business going to be on the more kind of approachable, you know, lower end. And the guy was like, oh yeah, totally. We are committed to that. We are ready to go. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't tell you too much about it, but our new blankety blank, whatever it was, is coming out in the fall and it's going to be 10. And I said, 10,000 for a, a DAC. Really? That's your, that's your, I'm going to scrape down into the lower bucket is 10 grand. So that's not to say that there's not a place for high-end audiophile gear. It's this, it's the fact that the technology is eluding some of these companies. And by that, I mean the technology of not only the, the, the build where things are just getting lower, lower priced, and you can actually build a really great sounding, you know, whatever, for a grand or for 500 bucks or for 1500 bucks, but also the technology of using social media and where, you know, how they're going to attract a new audience. So the reason why I chose only Instagram to promote, and if you guys aren't following our Instagram account, it's at beginner audio file, but I, I chose Instagram for a reason because I wanted that, you know, I wanted that group. I wanted a younger, hipper audience to plug into this show. That's why. That's who I want to be. I, these, these are our constituents. So um, I, I just chose Instagram for that. And I know that means that there's going to be a lot of people that don't have an Instagram, as they might say. That's okay. Because I think this show is meant for open-minded, you know, people that are not afraid to go, wow, you mean you can get good sound out of a $400 turntable or a $200 turntable or whatever. 
So um, I think maybe Harris is back. What is up, Harris? Hi, can you hear me pretty well? I got you, man. And I oh, have good. no okay. no crackliness whatsoever. <laughs> so Well, you pay for what you get, don't you? What I was just saying is that um, my, my take on the LA Audio Show, just from a, a, a full-on 20,000-foot view, is that there are some companies that still aren't getting it yet. They're, they're, they're not embracing the technology. And by the technology, I mean the... The, the price points lowering. So like what we were just talking about, you can get a great, great Class D integrated amp from a company like Cambridge Audio, and I'll talk about them a little bit later, um, you know, for 1500 bucks or 1100 bucks or whatever. And it sounds fantastic. You don't have to spend $12,000 on a DAC to get good sound. And then on the flip side of that, you know, the fact that so few of them were on modern social media tools like Instagram. And I said, the reason I chose Instagram only for this show, like uh, that's the only social media platform that I'm really promoting. I mean, we have a Facebook page because it's part of Instagram, but, um, but uh, I wanted that because I want, a, I want a crowd that gets it and they're ki- kind of plugged into what's going on tomorrow and not yesterday. So that was my overall take is that I think the industry needs to get a little hipper and all the companies that I resonated with uh, One More USA, Cambridge Audio, even Macintosh and those guys I thought were doing a good job. Um, just a number of companies that I thought were like, yeah, we get we get the ELAC, you know, that we get it. We get where the industry is, where it's going, our price points, and we're going to start making gear for those beginner audiophiles and people that are just getting into the getting into the sport, as we might say. Well, one one thing I think we should explain to our audience is what an audio show is. So, an audio show like the LA Audio Show is really a bunch of manufacturers who get together, take over hotel rooms, move all the furniture out of the hotel rooms, set up these systems that range from a few hundred dollars to several hundred thousand dollars, and then um, potential customers, because it's really about selling equipment. And that's a key here. You know, it's not just a demonstration or a lecture series. It's really about selling gear, because otherwise, how do you justify the expense? And so you go from room to room, and everybody has a different system. Um, some of the rooms are famous for having some high-quality alcohol for you to sample while you're there. <laughs> a couple of uh, manufacturers in particular, it's kind of their hallmark to walk in and have a uh, a nip of Lagavulin. Um, so right. it's it really is a very, uh, and I'm not saying that about partying. I'm just saying that it's really a lot of fun. It's um, it's uh, there's a lot of goodwill. I think a lot of people are genuinely interested in it. On the flip side of it, there's a lot of stuff that makes no sense. So so let me give you an example. On the ground floor, there was this extraordinary system that sounded just fantastic, and I went there with a friend of mine who is a top-flight engineer, and I would argue one of the best minds in the country. And, and and I said, you know, we went in and we listened to the system, and we asked, you know, what was what was the cost of the system? And he said, well, you know, the speakers, I think they're Wilson's. They were yeah. about 50000 bucks a pair. And we said, oh, you know. <laughs> sure. And then, and then I pointed out to my friend, you know, the speaker cables, and I said, you know, I'm not sure, because he was very, very heavily involved in audiophile gear, and from the engineering point of view, and also as a consumer, going back to Dahlquists and, you know, and Acoustats and the like. So I, he, I said, there's this new generation of speaker cables that look kind of like computer ribbon cables. Yeah. And so he went over, looked at him, took a photo, you know, we looked at him, and then I happened to casually ask the uh, the representative how much the speaker cables were. And he said, 53. And I said, 5,300. Hmm. And he goes, no, 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 53,000. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, 53,000 for the speaker cables. And on, on top of that, they were on these little holders that kept them off the ground. Right, and like the levitators. The com- right. Yeah, and one of the companies out front was selling those little pyramid cones for like 200 bucks a clip. And um, and so w- later on, on the way home, we talked about it, and um, my colleague you know, said, um, well, you know, I can understand the theory of having a speaker cable away from the floor in case there's wiring in the floor. Because if there's wiring in the floor, you end up, in, a, in effect, altering the characteristics of the cable. And I said, but it's a high-level cable. You know, it's not like a, 
you know, like a preamp cable, which can pick up hum and noise. He says, no, but it could, it could end up affecting the final sound quality. He said, however, that's really theoretical, and, and more so, you don't need... I have a you know two hundred dollar elevator. He said you could put Dixie cups under the uh, right. cable and that get it off the ground just fine. You know if if you're thinking about it as kind of you know a, as a wire array. But I I think you know we went into the Macintosh um, room and it was of course gorgeous because Mac gear is just so pretty. Yeah. And all the tubes are glowing and and I asked him I said wow those little LEDs look like you know like a PC gamer's you know. You know, transparent. Um, you know, box with all the lights on the yeah. on the memory. And he goes, well, no, actually, all of those lights mean something. When you start it up, they're amber, and then as it gets the proper operating temperature, they turn. I think they were green or blue. And he said, and if you have a problem with one of the tubes, then it turns red. Hmm. So actually, he said, these are not just you know lights to be pretty, although they're pretty. They're really you know indicators of two. But you know, we're talking about you know their 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 CD player was five thousand bucks. You know, right. their disc right. player. So we're still talking. You know, their their headphone amp was five grand roughly. So this is you know hugely expensive gear. Right. And uh, well, one thing I'll say though, I was actually I had a great conversation um, with with uh, the Mac guy uh, Will, and he's there's. It's really interesting that happens with Macintosh gear. He's like, sometimes he said at the company, they'll go online, they'll go to eBay, and they'll see that the gear is just as expensive, used, 10 years old, as it is brand new. Like, so nothing holds the value more than Macintosh gear. Any trip to Craigslist will show you that you try to buy an amp and it's 3500 bucks and it's 15 years old, and you go, wow, that is crazy. But... They also have this infrastructure of being able to keep all the gear current, and I don't, that's not a pun, but it, it's they have service centers that will update and upgrade everything. They'll refinish the wood if you have wood on the outside of it. Like it, it's legacy lifetime gear. I don't know a lot of companies that can claim that because I think that things just get outdated and they and that's that. But I feel like Macintosh, they even have a trade-in program. I don't know if you know that, but if you have like an old 20-year-old piece of Mac gear, you can trade it in for real money. They'll give you like 5 grand for your old thing and then you pay, you know, you pay another 2500 bucks for the new version. But it's pretty incredible what they've built for themselves and I'm not going to lie, I'm a, I'm a closet Mac guy. So <laughs> No, I think Mac is wonderful. Yeah. Um and you know, and, and audio research is the same way. You know, an old piece of audio research gear is just as valuable as a new piece. But I think getting back to what the show is. So, and then the the LA Audio Show also had a room where you could buy vinyl, rare vinyl. There was um, digital vendors such as Chesky Records was there. AIX was there, which is Dr. Mark Waldrop's label. He was on the upstairs mezzanine and also previewing a brand new soundbar. Yeah. That sounded pretty awesome. Um, so we're going to get you some information on that. They're doing a Kickstarter project for the soundbar. And, you know, by the way, we should talk about soundbars for just a moment. We, because... we should, but not today. Oh, okay. Next time. Yeah. We're, we're up against it a bit. So... But let's, but, let's, and then, but, but also yeah. there was a lecture series, and I love the lecture series. And um, one of the lecture series was Legends of Hi-Fi and how they got started. And, um, and part of it, in fact, involved the Grateful Dead and the Wall of Sound and the idea of creating a component that looked great on paper but sounded terrible. And, um, and so that was, that was really wonderful. And um, so you really – it really – think of the LA Audio Show as not just as a place to sell – you know, and get customers, but it's also a coming together of some really great minds attempting to tackle the same issue, which is sound reproduction. So, um, and and this one, by the way, I, I want to give a real shout out to the team because the audio show had been going on in Irvine for a number of years, and it was called the Audio Show, and it was held in Irvine, although it was known as a Newport Show. I'm not sure how you figure that one out. And yeah. um, and then and then the founder passed away from cancer, cancer, and there was no news after last year if it would continue. And at the very last minute, we got an email, and the publicity started to trickle out that in fact the team that put together the Newport show um, was going to put together one at LAX at the Sheraton Hotel. 
at the LAX Gateway, um, Sheraton. And then at the same time, the same week, we got a note saying that the other half of the team that put on the Newport show was going to put on a follow-up show in September at the Anaheim Convention Center. So, um, so what what happened was is that the LA Audio Show in you know just a couple weeks ago it took off, and this was the first ever you know time it ran for a brand new team of people. Um, not completely new, some of the people who had done previous shows, Marine Preston, for instance. And I think they did a great job. I, yeah. You know, there's always teething pains on any show, but overall, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it had nice attendance. It was a nice location. And I, for one, am hoping that it happens again next year. Yeah, I thought it was really good, too. And, and um, it was one of the better ones that I've been to. I've been to a few. The, the next big one for the, you guys who want to try it out is the uh, Rocky Mountain Audio Show in the fall. Right, Rocky Mountain Audio Fest in Denver, and um, that's that looks to be good too. I don't know of one on the East Coast. Do you do you know of one out there other than CES? Yeah, there's a New York Audio Show as well. There is, but I'm not sure of the dates right now. And then okay. and then add to this a brand new phenomenon, which is Can Jam. Right, and Can Jams they've held one in New York, which was a ball. It was really a lot of fun. It was in um, in the in the spring, and they have one. That just happened, I think, um, recently in Southern California, and that's just headphones and earphones, guys. Right. It's just a lot. It's probably the quietest group ex- group <laughs> conference right. you'll ever go to right. because everybody's got headphones or earphones on. But that's it's really funny. a lot of fun. Uh, November tenth um, to the twelfth is the New York Audio Show. Oh, great! Okay, at the Park and, Lane Hotel. It's uh, Chest, uh, Chester Group dot org. Chester C H E S T E R Group dot org. Um, and I think you can just find it from there. Yeah. Michael, can you talk a little bit more about what you saw at Cambridge Audio? Because I went to their suite and was impressed as well. Not only were they really nice guys and it was a very relaxed atmosphere, but they had affordable first rate products. Yeah, we're going to, there's actually a a listener question. Um, and I'm going to talk about Cambridge Audio and the answer of that question in a couple minutes. Um, one thing I want to do though, before we get into that is... I've had the Anthem MRX 1120 at my house now for like three months, and I want to talk a bit about that piece of kit. Um, this Anthem is a uh, sister company to Paradigm, and Paradigm, I think, acquired them 20-something years ago. Anthem was their own company, and then Paradigm acquired them. This is all made in Canada, uh, soup to nuts, and generally regarded as a pretty high-end piece of gear. I know they had a home theater receiver that was like $9,500 or something a couple of years ago. And I wanted to see, like, I've got these this fancy nice pair of speakers from uh, Paradigm. And I wanted to hear what it would be like to put like a killer receiver. And so my reference receiver uh, prior is the Marantz SR7009, which is a Dolby Atmos 11.2 receiver. This is the Anthem equivalent. Uh, uh, it and it's also 11.2, meaning that 11 surround speakers, two subwoofers, it's able to support, and it is kind of a you know a, again a serious piece of gear. It's thirty five hundred dollars. Um, you know, it, it up up to us whether we decide that that's beginner or not. But um, it is a you know it's a it's a real piece of gear, and when you look at it, you check out the the specs. And if you look at the back of this unit, it is, you can tell it's all business. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, preamp connectivity where you can connect everything to an external amp if you want to. It's got every connectivity you want. I think seven HDMI, maybe eight. Um, the ability to do full 11.2 surround within one unit, which is very uh, unique because a lot of companies will do. 7.2, but if you want to add Dolby Atmos, which is like another four speakers above you, you have to hook up a separate amplifier to do that. And then this also supports uh, PlayFi streaming. So if you have an app on your phone, uh, it, it will allow you to stream Tidal or whatever to that. And PlayFi is kind of a, a, a um, Sonos-like where a number of companies have adopted PlayFi as their their language. So... 
you can hook up a number of different, like I could hook up a wireless PlayFi speaker somewhere in my house, use the Anthem receiver as, you know, one unit and hook up as many as I wanted to around the house. And so when I have a party or whatever, I can play music all throughout the house. So uh, they sent this thing to me. Um, the thing that Anthem is really known for is their ARC, which is Anthem Room Correction. We've talked a, a number of times about speaker setup and how that is always the place to start. You've got to get your speaker set up in the right spot. You know, you can do the subwoofer crawl or things like that, but you want to make sure your speakers are great. But sometimes you've got a room that's oddly shaped or you have, a, you know, a couch in the way or you have a big chunk of glass or something is, you know, making the audio weird. That's where room connect correction comes from. And Anthem room correction is supposed to be the gold standard, or certainly right up there uh, with the best room correction you can get. So, so here's and this and thus begins the pros and cons of the Anthem MRX eleven twenty. Um, I'll start with the cons because they were sort of the initial issue for me, and that was I couldn't get this receiver to talk to the internets. I couldn't get it online and. It was such a challenge for me. And again, I'm coming from this super easy, great interface that Marantz and Denon have put together on their, their receivers, where it's, you just plug it in, it works. Everything you need is there. Everything's visual. This is a serious receiver. This doesn't have a lot of the same visual bells and whistles. It doesn't have the same features that a lot of the lower price but higher featured units have. This thing says, I'm going to give you great sound and I'm going to keep it bare bones besides that. So the interface is is pretty basic. Um, I mean, it's in color, which is a good start, but it's not, it doesn't have a lot of the same options as you might see from, from some of the other companies. And I had, I mean, I'm talking hours and hours and hours and hours of trying to get this thing to talk to the web. And of course, I'm all over the forums, and that's not an uncommon issue. There, that has happened before. I finally gave up, Harris. I gave up on connecting it. And I said, guys, you know, I don't know what to do. Anthem sent me another one, unit number two, instantly connected, no problem. So I got a bad unit to begin with. So I don't want to say that that's always going to be the case because I'm sure it's not, but uh, the first one was uh, a bummer to do. Once I got it online, I was then able to use the ARC system because you need to be online to run ARC. That's, I, I suppose I buried the lead on that. So I couldn't actually run the, the, the Anthem Room correction. Once I finally got that thing on, I was able to start playing. I have a Dolby Atmos uh, demo disc that I got at CES this year spectacular. Um, I will tell you that this thing punches you in the chest. This is a monster receiver from an, from the audio standpoint. It is everything is beautiful and separate and 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 big. Like you definitely get the feeling listening to this thing that it is a serious piece of gear and it knows what it's doing. Even looking at the inside, if you guys go to anthemav.com, anthemav.com and look at the MRX 1120, look at the gallery and look at the inside of this machine. It's beautiful. Like the, you can tell how much meticulous care has gone into building this. It's a beautiful aluminum box and it looks great and it just has tons of horsepower. So um, I loved it. Uh, the, the things I missed a little bit were I couldn't just, you know, stream with AirPlay like I'm used to. Um, but it's okay because that's not a great, you know, that's not a great uh, audio transfer methodology anyway. But I, ha I would have to go in. I would have to connect with PlayFi, which is a little clunky, and then go through Tidal. And then I could stream to this, this receiver. Um, but otherwise, I had no problem. It was super customizable, really easy to use interface, um, but very basic. So this is something I think is more suited to uh, a serious home theater room versus like, I need this thing to be my Swiss Army knife and the kids are going to run Netflix from it and, and that kind of thing. So I didn't feel like it was, you know, sort of kid user friendly and, and, and easy to, to, to move around in. But once you got the thing set up, it was just a beast. So, do you have any experience with any Anthem gear, Harris? No, I don't. I don't. But, you know, but I think there is a lesson not buried in your lead, which is if you consistently have problems and you're banging your head against the wall, it might not be you. It might be a piece of equipment. And right. um, reaching out to the manufacturer for a swap 
might be the fastest way to stop wasting your time. Right. And that, they, they, and that, I mean, they couldn't have been more helpful. All their support guys, they, they took me through all these different iterations. And finally we said, look, let's, let's try this again. Got the new one in. It was done deal. No problem. So, um, I, I recommend, um, I'm really actually excited because I talked to, um, Paradigm at the audio show. So, um, the, the LA audio show, Chris Sipes from Paradigm sat down and talked to us for a while, but, he was talking about my speakers, which I have the the uh, Prestige Studio uh, 85Fs. It's a good piece, good speakers, five grand for the pair, you know. And and I told him what my setup was, and he looked at me and said, "You haven't even heard your speakers yet." He goes, "Grab the integrated amp from Anthem, get their new integrated amp, and plug that thing in and see what you think." So I'm really excited to try that just to see what it's like, you know. I want to see what like a really high horsepower uh, two channel amp does to my speakers. So. Um, so yeah, there you have it. Anthem AV can't go wrong. I think their stuff is great, and um, and that's the MRX eleven twenty. Everybody, um, how about some questions, Harris? Well, I think um, I think you you mentioned that we got a, a email from a listener asking how to hook up a system or where to go from his initial system. Yeah, so that so might I have be four. a great segue. I got four questions uh, for us okay. this time. So. Um, the first one is the one you were just referring to, which is from James Baird. He says, uh, hello, I discovered your podcast on vacation. Thank you for assisting a novice like me. I followed your first step and signed up for title. Beautiful. It is currently playing on my iPad mini, which is converted iPad mini. Okay. Which is uh, connected to a sound bar. How do I take the next step and upgrade speakers? In other words, once I buy better speakers, how do I connect the iPad slash source to the speakers? Do I need a receiver, amp, and preamp? Thanks again for the assistance. So okay. the short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> but, but the good news is you've got tons of great options. One of the first shows we did, we reviewed the uh, PS Audio Sprout ELAC combo. It's 750 bucks, and it gets you this tiny little integrated amp. And the two little ELAC or the two ELAC bookshelf speakers, it's literally what's in my bedroom as my like bedroom system right now. And I, I'll tell you, it, at least once a week, I'll, you know, I'll wake up and I'm kind of maybe I'll do some reading or something and I'll throw title on. And I, it makes me look up at least once a session where I look up and go, wow, that is a great sound right there. Like I'm blown away by it. So I love that idea. Um, and I'm curious about your thoughts on that, Harris. No, I think that's a great idea. Um, just a small integrated amp. ELAC has a wonderful small integrated amp also, but it's a little more pricey. But I think it has to do with how he wants to listen. So, okay, okay so let's just, let's just go backwards a little bit. Yeah. So the first step is he's got uh, he's got a title account. That's great. And yep. you can get high resolution if you want. You can get normal resolution audio. Then he's going to take that music and he wants to listen to it on some speakers. And he's got a sound bar, which sounds pretty good. If he didn't have a sound bar, my first instinct would have been to think about something like the Oppo Sonica, which right. is this fantastic tabletop you know, speaker system for a few hundred dollars. And the cool thing about it is it will play any format of high-resolution audio on down. You just use your phone or your iPad mini, and it will wirelessly stream to that speaker system, and it's going to you know, knock you out. Um, if you already have a soundbar, you might not need that, and you might want to take another step forward. So then I think it has to do with you know, the kind of level of hassle, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So you mentioned Apple AirPlay. And Apple AirPlay is not the best quality audio, but it's right. pretty. It's incredibly easy. You just use iTunes, and you click a little button at the top, and it will take over any audio device that you have and instantly stream your music. So from a user's point of view, it's a pretty wonderful technology because it's seamless, and you don't have to spend any money on it. And receivers from people like Pioneer and I think Cambridge and other people – they start at a few hundred dollars, yeah. and they have Apple AirPlay, and you can you know you can wirelessly um, send your uh, um, your audio. The other thing is, and we talked about it briefly last time, which is AptX. So Bluetooth in general sounds really lousy. If you even listen to a set of Bluetooth headphones, they don't sound very good. Yeah. They need but, to be they need to be aptX is what you're saying, right? Yeah. But if you have an aptX receiver 
and you have an APTX-capable transmitter, which your iPad is, then by using Bluetooth to any aptX um, component, you're going to get some great sounding audio. And um, and once again, no wires, no nothing. It's very simple. Um, and most good receivers, if you check around, even low-priced ones, a lot of them have Bluetooth and they have aptX. And the sound quality, I think, is better than Apple AirPlay. And once again, it's seamless. And you could even stream it from your phone. I've tested AppX devices from my Samsung phone to like an audio engine B2 speaker system. It's, that's a couple hundred dollars. And it sounds great. Right. And it's almost lossless. So I think there are some options there. And, and it really has to do with where you want to go. I think the entry-level Wharfdales would be a great speaker. I think the entry level elax is a yeah. fantastic recommendation and they're what like two hundred dollars for a pair uh yeah like two well so the the kit we got was the it was a ps audio sprout plus the speakers plus a pair of emotiva cables so it's literally everything you need in one box and then you just it's 750 bucks and then then you're done um what i like about that and you can certainly piecemeal it yeah the speakers are about 250 uh is then you've got three different things you're dealing with. You've got a little integrated amp, which is a little baby, and it's cool, and it looks really nice, but, you know, it doesn't have everything you could possibly imagine. It's 500 bucks. And then you got a pair of speakers that I think sound really good, and then you have an upgrade path, because if you wanted to go even to the next level of ELAC speakers, which are the Unifies, they are like a, a, a huge step up. From the even the original B6 debut series, the Unifier like four hundred fifty bucks on uh, Amazon. You can't you can't go wrong until you get into the Kef LS50s. I mean, you like and that they're another thousand bucks. And you know, then at that point you're kind of done, as far as I'm concerned. Like if you really want to have great sound, you can you can do those LS you know LS50s and a a, a Rel subwoofer or some kind of sub, and you're set for a you know for the foreseeable future. But um. Yeah, you know, 500 bucks for a, a pair of Elax, and then there's a number of integrated amps, and that's what we're suggesting to you, James, is get an integrated amp. Don't worry about separates yet. Just get a nice integrated amp. You know, uh, it'll be a Class D amp like we just talked about. It'll be 35 to 100 watts probably in, within your price range, and then you're you're golden, you know? And what do you think about that, Harris? No, I think that would yeah. be a great idea. Okay. Um, I, I do think that there's so many options for, you know, somebody wanting to make that first step. And I think that the old adage of "kiss, keep it simple, stupid" yeah. is going to be is going to be what makes you happiest. The one thing that our listener didn't mention is: does he have a home theater system, or does he have, you know, because when he said sound bar, I thought it's probably hooked up to a TV. So now, the probably the real consideration should be a home theater system using inexpensive speakers like the Elax, coupled with a you know a nice little AVR that can handle surround as well as Bluetooth as well as you know Apple AirPlay right. and of course Air and Onkyo and Rotel all make some wonderful units that really are quite inexpensive. I I would recommend though if you're looking at Pioneer. Pay attention because their Elite line actually features some extraordinarily good Sonics for not very much money. Mm. And, um, and if you if you really want to be um, you know parsimonious, if you look at the wow. Pioneer line, last year's or the year before Elites get rebranded as normal ones at a much lower price a year later or two years ah, later. Cool, so, I didn't know that. And so you can actually kind of look at the models and the features and figure out, oh, that used to be. An elite, but the elite is is usually a mark of their better quality audio. Right. Okay. Cool. And I really like the your your. I'm not familiar very much with Pioneer at all. Like it hasn't been part of my my you know my uh, influences at all for my whole my whole audiophile career. So it's cool that you have that experience. Uh, Michael Ticino says, "Hey guys, love the podcast. Was looking at your opinion on a subwoofer for my two channel setup. Currently have a pair of Definitive Technology SM55 bookshelves." Uh, and an older Marantz SR8400 receiver. What are your thoughts on a Sunfire HRS12 or DevTech SC6000? I've limited space, and the room size is about 16 by 12. These two are recommended by a Crutchfield advisor, which I'm sure is that's what they sell. Um, I don't have experience with either of those two subs, to be honest. Um, do you have any Sunfire or DevTech sub experience? None whatsoever. Yeah. Um, 
here's the thing with the sub. I mean, the ones we've tested so far uh, on the show, being the Rel and the SVS, um, I only have experience with and and those and and Velodyne. Let's see, what do I have? I have Velodyne, Quad, SVS, Rel. I haven't tried a Paradigm yet, although I heard they're great. Um, so, I, you know, it's one of those things that um, I, how I responded to him is. I, when you walk into the SVS booth of a, an audio show, they've wallpapered the wall with the five-star reviews from every single audio outlet over the last 10 years. And I'm like, all right, that tells me something. Like, there's a little bit of third-party validation there. So my, you know, and they don't, again, this is not a paid endorsement or anything, but my initial thing is, why don't you just throw one of those SB2000s in your house, the S the SVS, and just see what it sounds like. They, it's free. They'll give. They'll send it back for free. Um, I, I would be hard pressed to find a better bang for the buck, and that's what everyone who's ever reviewed it has said. So that's kind of where I lean on that. Um, otherwise, you're just stuck with doing what we all do, which is just reading every single review and all the message board posts of that particular subwoofer, and then making a decision on it. You know, and, and not to not to to push elac but i think you should consider the way the elac approach you know oh, so yeah. so so for our listeners you know base management is really a bugaboo for everybody it's been a problem since the early days of audio you know from the first audio auto the first suspension speakers to subwoofers and then when you had a subwoofer you had to have a special crossover and then some of our listeners might remember that they had biamp system where you had an amplifier for your sub then you had an amplifier for your mid and your high some people had triamp where you had an amplifier for each of those if you have a car audio a lot of times you have separate amplifiers for your sub right. anyway and then you have a crossover and the key here is the crossover because if the crossover you know, sends bass energy to your, you know, your kind of normal speakers, then not only can they, they might not be able to handle it, but they may not, they'll muddy the sound. On the other hand, if it sends the wrong information to your subwoofers, then that's not their job either. So the beauty of the digital world is that digitally that stuff can be encoded. So that's why home theater sounds so good so quickly because the discs are encoded. There's a point one, and the, the audio engineers say, hey, this is subwoofer-only material, and right. the point one separates it out and sends it to the subwoofer. Well, but the problem is bass, you know, bass is really difficult because it muddies the sound, it can muffle all the other sounds, it can be too weak, it can be too passive, it can be too punchy. So it's always been a challenge, and when you use any of these receivers, like the Pioneer or other receivers, they have usually a little inexpensive microphone that comes with them, yeah. You put it in the center of your room, wherever you're listening, actually, is where you're supposed to locate the microphone. And it will set off a bunch of test tones. It'll equalize the room. And then suddenly you get a nice, pretty balanced sound pretty easily. You could tweak it further, but yeah. for most people, that's a huge step forward. Well, what Andrew Jones and the team at Elec did when they designed their um, sub is you use your phone as your measuring device. So what it's you do is brilliant you walk methodology. Up. Yeah, it's very cool. You take the subwoofer, you walk up next to it, you put the phone right near it, it generates some tones, it measures it, and then you take the phone to where you're sitting, and then it compares the audio, and it EQs automatically the sub. And then from that point on, you have a properly balanced sub. And those things are only a few hundred dollars. So whether it's that's powerful enough, you know, that's... But I think... That that core issue of how to correct for room deficiency, you know, whether it's ELAC or some other scheme, is something you shouldn't ignore. Just make sure you go back and listen to the episode um, where we did the subwoofer crawl. We did the great subwoofer bake-off, uh, and that was the uh, that was the thing, Michael, that, that you got to make sure you get the sub in the right spot or the optimized spot for your room, and then you can EQ it, and, and you know, uh, Bob's your uncle. So the last question of the day— um, is going to be from uh, Jerry, Jerry Cabanas. He goes, thanks for your great work. Ugh, you're going to cost me thousands of dollars, um, probably. I have some PSB 800 speakers from 1994 that I absolutely love. My sub died, so I need to replace it uh, the very low, low end. 
I'm pushing the PSBs with a Yamaha AV receiver RX V479. The sound is what it is, but I really hate dealing with the Yamaha UI. Completely sucks. Source is title. Maybe that's a great sound profile for some experts to pro- me, point me in the right direction for an integrated amp and or DAC. So I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think right now your, your weak point is that um, I would probably go integrated receiver first, and then I would think about the sub. Because my guess is that if you get a nice two-channel integrated receiver, uh, or integrated amplifier, rather, it's going to make your PSB 800s sing. And the, the one that I'm recommending right now, because I loved it at the LA Audio Show, it was just, it was, it's the uh, Cambridge Audio CXA80. It's the CXA80. It's about a thousand bucks. It looks gorgeous. I mean, it is a beautiful looking unit. Uh, it comes in black or silver. It's got all the connectivity options you want. And then you can pair it with their streamer if you want to. They have a streamer that matches it. And um, I want to see it's a little bit less money, but this thing with your two speakers is fantastic. And it does have a separate subwoofer output, which, by the way, a lot of two channel um, devices don't, which is really funny to me. Uh, again, it's those companies that just kind of don't get it, but um, I love it. I love what Cambridge Audio is doing, like bang for the buck wise. It is one of those rooms that we walked into, and there's there's only a few of these. And Harris, you back me up on this. There's only a few rooms. You walk into these $300,000 rooms and you walk in and out. And then sometimes you walk into a room and they play three notes and you look right at your buddy and go, whoa, that is unbelievable. They, whatever they did, they nailed it. They nailed the combo of things. I got that feeling in the Cambridge Audio Room and that was literally one of the lowest cost rooms of the show. What do well, you think? You know, the other thing I was thinking about is a Peachtree Audio. Oh, it's system. another great one. Yep. Yep. You know, because those are great systems and they have a new one called the Nova 300. Yes. And our listener might really enjoy this. They have a trade in program. So um, they're willing to take other people's audio components for a pretty good discount. But I do want to agree like with that. That. Uh, that, you know, like when I started testing the Pioneer gear, man, I could not figure it out at all. It had an it had a iPad only manual that was interactive to set it up but it was really lacking and only in the last couple of years have they released new apps and and i and i should mention that i was just with a with a colleague who went to the la audio show to mark and we he had a i think it was a onkyo um man it was near to impossible to use the interface mm. on the receiver without using an app you know so like the, right. the whole or a tv system, yeah, well, yeah. but even more than a TV, the, the the way you controlled the app, you know, and the app itself on the iPad controlled all aspects of the audio. So I would also urge you to take a look at your you know, Yamaha and see if there's an app, if, if there's a Yamaha app. My problem has been is that the companies don't really tell you what version goes with what. Like even yes, on the yes. or on Apple, there's, there's like a whole slew of options. Yeah. But you know, like the Oppo, um, you know, we're going to talk later on another show about their new ultra high def um, Blu-ray player, mm. but it's, it's app controlled. Their universal, pl- you know, players from last year are app controlled and the apps are quite, you know, in ta- they're quite detailed on your iPad or on your phone. So e- you may really dislike the GUI on that Yamaha. Mm. And I would say before you give up on it, go take a look at the Yamaha on you know on the Play Store or the App Store and see if there happens to be an app that pertains to your model. And by the way, and you really have to look at the developer notes on the App Store to figure out which version fits yours because sometimes it'll just say AV controller 2016 and you're like, say what? What does it go to? <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's funny. Okay. Well, so um, by the way, the Nova, I just looked it up. The Nova 300, which is the one you're talking about, 2,500 bucks. So it's a real, that's a real piece of gear. Um, and you can trade it in, trade your stuff in. But, um, you know, any of those options, I would say the free option is going to be to check out the, uh, check out the interface and maybe there's an app for it. Then you maybe look at the Cambridge for, um, you know, an upgrade or something like that. Harris, sir, you've done it. Yes. We have now done your first episode of Beginner Audiophile as a co-host. How do you feel? I feel really great. Good. I think you I think you did just fine. 
Nope. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. O'Neill. Yeah. Hey, um, so are you, you're on the Instagrams, aren't you? You know, I'm not on Instagram. You're not? Because, All right, well, it's time. Because, because, you know, remember, I'm a, you know, my primary job in life is as, is as a photo educator and yeah. a curator. And I get so many emails. Odd. I get so many Facebook messages a day because that's the, the conduit for yeah. all the artists and educators I work with. So, you know, Instagram was just one more. So you're just being more. a curmudgeon? It's not going anywhere. So you should, yeah. I, my, my suggestion is to embrace it. <laughs> yeah. You can be the curmudgeon just, of the show. It's just one more thing to check. It's not like I'm, I'm a Luddite. It's just one more thing to pay attention to where somebody says, hey, didn't you read my Instagram right. message? And I'm right, like, right, right. oh, not another. <laughs> I'm pretty much uh, only Instagram day. and Facebook. Those are the two that I've, that I've, follow so anyway for you guys beginner audio file on instagram is how you can reach us and um you know feel free to write the other thing i love to see is take a picture of your system i want to see your system and tag us on it at beginner audio file uh, on instagram because i want to see what you guys are doing and, and how you're set up and uh we've got a lot of really fun stuff i made a bunch of great connections at the la audio show so we have just a a loads of gear coming in to test for you guys and I will say, you know, you guys are so great about sending emails, which you can continue to do, beginneraudiofile at gmail.com. I have certainly not listened to every speaker out there. Like, you guys are like, hey, what do you think about these speakers? These I'm like, dude, I haven't listened to those at all. But I can tell you generally, you know. But, um, you know, we'll get a little deeper into this thing, and, and we'll be listening to some more stuff and hopefully keep bringing you guys really good gear and stuff that you can afford and stuff that's going to make you feel like you really experience the music. So, until then... For Harris Vogel, Michael O'Neill, talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Beginner Audiophile. For gear giveaways and answers to your questions, join our mailing list at beginneraudiophile.com. Tag pictures of your audio setup to at beginneraudiophile on Instagram. Until next time, keep experiencing great music.